You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Good morning. My name is Wanda. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22 this morning. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Awesome, thanks so much, Wanda. So, I need to tell you about 17-year-old Dave. This is 17-year-old Dave. Yes, I do have very similar hair. I just found like a lane in life, and I just kept driving, okay? Anybody been there in life? I just found kind of where I'm supposed to be, and we're just going to, as long as I can make it happen, it's going to sort of be like this. Um, I'm at Camp Judson. I'm 17 years old. We're worshiping in this building that's kind of old and a little bit smelly. I'm sitting in like a blue fuzzy chair, and it's the moment in my life when I said yes to God to be a pastor. Um, It wasn't some kind of like magical moment. It was just during worship, and I just felt like this, this prompting. Many of you know like some of my story, like I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, and I know the, the grace of the local body of Christ, and I know the warts of the local body of Christ. This is a season of my life three years earlier. Um, my dad left our family and left ministry, and, and so it's been very possible for me to be pretty jaded uh, about all of that. But it was in this particular moment that God said, hey, like, this is what I want you to do. And so I said yes to him. And for me, being a pastor kind of centers around two things. The first thing it centers around is do what it says. Like the stuff that's in here, 
It matters. And so if you're going to do that, do what it says. Uh, but there's a second part to that. And the second part to that is share what it says, even when it's hard, even when it's not popular, even when people don't necessarily want to hear it. The question I have to ask myself as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor in the local church, is am I willing to do what this thing says? But there's a the question after that is am I willing to share what this says or do I want to find a convenient way to get around the pothole? Can I tell you there's potholes all over in this book? There are places that are going to change the trajectory that you are moving in life, much like a pothole does. And we have a choice. We can drive around them. We can do something else. And the reason, one of the reasons why an invitation, we teach through the Bible. You might have not noticed this yet. But if you stick around here long enough, you're going to notice we spend long segments of time in a single book. Because it is our conviction, it is our hope that doing so, that placing yourself in that book helps you understand the kingdom, the ministry of Jesus, and it means you can't avoid things that are controversial. And so the temptation uh, for me as a pastor is to grow a church without pain. But the gospel just doesn't let you do that. You, don't, you can't get away with that. There is no growth without struggle, without pain. And so as we come to this passage today in Ephesians, you know, it's one that talks about the nations. You know, Psalm 46 is this awesome, like, patio coffee mug verse. Be still and know that I am God. Awesome. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But if you are just sipping your coffee and you stop reading you will miss the part where it says, like, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So be still before me and know that I'm God. But let me tell you what's going to happen. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so the people of God have an opportunity to join God in his love for the nations. It's what he loves. And if you've ever spent enough time around somebody and you bump into something that they love and they can't stop talking to you about it, even if you don't love it, even if you don't think it's significant, even if you don't love to work on cars, even if you don't care about essential oils, they will talk to you about it. Even if you don't care about cooking, if you don't care about gardening. And this is God in the scriptures with the nations. He loves the nations. In the scriptures, we're actually told that the nations are the inheritance of God's people. So it's not like this subsetting in the scriptures. It's, it's what God wants to do. He cares deeply for it. And so today, we get to talk about what God loves. We get to talk about his love for the nations and our opportunity to join him in that. And so you might wonder, though, like, so like, what's the point? Why in church would we need to talk about, like, the nations? Like, could we just, like, talk about us? Like, why is it important for us to, to have conversations around ethnic groups worldwide and around racism. And I want to show you why it's important. 
This is Portland, Oregon, 1923. This is not photoshopped. This is not fake. This is from a, the Oregon Historical Society. Hundred years ago, Jesus saves. This is why we have to talk about racism in church. Because it is the heart of God that not only would we know about his love for the nations, but that we would have love for the nations. And that love we have for the nations would move us to advocate for the nations. So, before we get too much into this today, I need you to know a couple things. Due to the environment of our world, we have to have a little precursing conversation. Like you watch a movie and you get to like the little rating. So you figure out, is this going to scare my kids or is it going to scare me? Can we watch it or not? So here's that moment. Number one, I need you to understand. If you've not been around Invitation a lot, you might not know me well. So just let me introduce myself just for a second. Number one thing I need you to know is that I do not hate America. I love America very much. And I have promised a long time ago to work for the good of this place. Why? Because God has set me here. He didn't set me anywhere else. He set me here. This little hospital called the Resurrection Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, November 29th, 1984, happens to be the same day as C.S. Lewis, so we share a birthday, so that's awesome. <laughs> this is where he has set me. And I believe that someday I'm actually going to answer for how I helped this place. Like what I did with the time and the gifts and the resources that God gave me. And so I don't want anyone to walk away from this conversation today and you go to Qdoba and you talk about how much your pastor hates America. It's not true. That's not my heart today. My heart today very much is to drive the roots of the church more deeply into the way of Jesus. That's number one. Number two warning is you need to know that I do not define myself by a political party because our environment of this world, it's very easy for this conversation to get couched in politics. And so I don't lean this way. I don't lean this way as a pastor. I belong to the party of the lamb. And I'm not saying that in any kind of like a cheesy bumper sticker kind of way, but it's actually way, the way our lives need to be formed. The John 1.29 points to Jesus says, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so there's one king, and there's one savior, and there's one ruler, and it's him. It's Jesus. And so I'm not coming to you today talking about this because I leaned this way, or because I leaned this way, or because I voted for this person, or I didn't vote for this person. I'm coming to you as a pastor of the church of Jesus Christ who has as much as he is able to pattern my life after that Jesus. And so please don't go to Qdoba and be like, he hates America, and I know he voted for that person. That's not how I'm coming to you today. And I know some of us have been in a relationship for a long time. You know my heart today. You know that I very much worked hard this week to be helpful to you in this message. If you're sort of new or you're watching this online, our YouTube channel, please be kind to me later. I will delete your comments if they're nasty. <laughs> so with all of that, let's dive in to Ephesians chapter 2. So verse 11 and 12, we see the problem. The problem is that the Gentiles are excluded 
from the kingdom of God. They're pushed out. They're distanced uh, away from the people who think in their minds and believe in their hearts. They're truly people who belong to God. Verse 11, Paul writes these words. Remember that you were called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And I know what you're thinking. Why in the world would you ever call yourself the circumcision? Like, what is going on with that? And thank you for saying circumcision in church, because I feel very, even more uncomfortable than I already did with that intro. But you need to understand, like, this is a derogatory term. Like, this is a way to label a whole people group. Like, we're the circumcision. Like, we are the ones who truly belong to Jesus in the kingdom of God, and God chose us, and God wants to use us, and he's going to use us to teach you guys everything that's wrong with you so that you can be like us. Paul says, remember when people referred to you in that way. Remember what that felt like. Remember the reality of that. It's this derogatory term for every, anybody who's not Jewish. And our world is full of this language. Belittling other people, labeling other people, trying to diminish other people. And I believe that words of violence lead to acts of violence. And I believe that we've seen that play out in our world. That it actually matters how we talk about other people. It actually matters that we use people's names. It actually matters that we see them as people who have been made in the image of God as carriers of the name of God in the world. And it's also true that there is a power and a pull of the mirror. Like it's hard to walk by a mirror and not just look for a second. Like there's a power and a pull towards people who think like us, believe like us, speak like us. And Paul is reminding the Ephesian church, like, hey, God loves the nations. So don't shut the nations out, but include the nations Verse 12, before you encountered grace, you were a couple things, five things. You were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. And I just wonder if anybody's had an experience in the house today of being excluded before. You know, it could be like the third grade kickball on the playground. And one of the most awkward moments in your life. And you're just like standing there wondering if you're going to get chosen or not. And the person on your left gets chosen. I know that's your other, but just go with me. And the person on your right gets chosen. And you're standing there. Or there's a birthday party. And of course you can't have the whole class sleep over, so there's four or five people who get chosen for that. And you're kind of on the outside being chosen. Just It's good for us to remember how that feels and what that's like with the experience is they're separated from Christ, they're excluded from citizenship in Israel, they're foreigners to the covenants of promise. There's like three major covenants in the Old Testament. So we have the covenant with Abraham, that hey, like I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you the father of many, many nations, not just one nation, but you are going to have more descendants than can actually be counted. And I know that you are in a space in your life when you don't believe that. When it would be impossible for you to believe that because you're old and you have no kids. But God promises, speaks that over Abraham's life and it comes to be. And then we have the covenant with Moses. They have like, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. 
Like, we're going to be together, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to walk with this whole nation, even when you are unfaithful, even when you want to do it your own way, even when you have no interest in listening to me. And then we have the covenant with David. And David is promised that, hey, somebody from your family is going to always sit on the throne of Israel forever. It's this perpetual presence on this throne. And that continues today with Jesus because we know from the Christmas verses that we're getting ready to read here in several weeks that Jesus comes from the family and the line of David, doesn't he? But these are people who didn't know about any of those promises. They're excluded from citizenship in Israel. They're separated from Christ. They're foreigners to all of these promises. It says that they're without hope and without God. So that's the problem, the solution is that the Gentiles are brought near in Christ. Verse 13, But now those who were far away have been brought near. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 57, verse 19, says, I will create praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. Peace, peace to those far and near. So God loves, God cares deeply about those who are right in front of his face. But he also cares deeply and has a heart for those who are far away. That they would be brought near. And then verse 14 says, for he is our peace. He's our peace. He's not just the one that like makes us feel at peace. But he in himself, his words and his ways are peace for us. And then what does he done? He sort of lists, Paul does, what Christ has done. He has made the two groups one, Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile, uncircumcised and the circumcision. He's made those two groups one. He's not just helped them get along with one another. He's not just helped them understand the other perspective. He's made what was two, one. And he has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And it's just really good that like Paul wrote this passage to that Ephesian church because it just doesn't really, I don't really see a lot of application just in our day, just being honest. Just, I just see a lot of unity. I see a lot of love. I see a lot of togetherness. I see just like, it's sort of disgusting to me, like how we just like speak with so much love toward one another. It's just super annoying. I don't know how you feel. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And you need to understand that not only, I think this is two things. First, I think this dividing wall of hostility, I think Paul's talking about the law, right? So, so the law of Moses, this like 613 commandments, this is kind of what helped Israelites know that they belong, know that they're in. We kind of just follow these things and we do these rituals and we, as long as we follow the rules, we're good. And all the rule followers in the house said amen, right? That's sort of like how they were. But then anybody who didn't follow the rules, anybody who didn't know the practices, like they were looked down upon. 
And even the non-Jews, even the Gentiles, I think looked at Israel and just thought they were super weird. Paul says, when Christ came, he didn't speak to the wall of hostility. He didn't request that the wall of hostility be removed. What did he do? He destroyed. That's a strong word if you ask me. He destroyed the wall of hostility that divided these two groups of people. He's talking about the law, but I think he's also talking about the temple. Because if you remember, 20 years before Jesus is born, there's this guy, Herod, and he loves to build stuff. You think toddlers like to build with blocks? Herod liked to build with blocks. And so he built this ginormous temple, beautiful temple. And there's five courts in the temple, right? So you note-takers in the house today, this is your time. So outer court is the Gentile court. And that's like if you were a follower of Yahweh, but you were not a Jew, that's the court that you had to stay in. And then as you moved closer, it was the female court. So if you were a Jewish woman, fearer of God, and kept the covenant, then that was kind of like your space. So we have the Gentile court, then we had like the female court, and then over here, we have the male court. Right? So if you're a man and you're in covenant with God and you're a fear of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, like this is kind of where you could be. And then going further, we had a court for just the priests, just like the really important spiritual people, the answer holders, the guides, the people who knew it. And then the last court is the court of the Holy of Holies. It's the chief priest. They would one a year, one time a year on the Day of Atonement. We just had that a couple weeks ago. Day of Atonement, go into the Holies of Holies. And there's a sacrifice of sin on behalf of all of Israel. But what you might not know is that, that the walls that divided those groups of people, there was an inscription. And I want to show you the inscription on one of the stones. So this is in Istanbul. If you want to go to Istanbul today, you can. You can go and you can visit this museum. And it has a, a piece of this wall of hostility. And there's this inscription. I'll read it for you. Whoever is captured past this point will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. What a way to welcome your brothers and sisters. Like, what a thing to go to church and experience this. Like, hey, this is where you belong. You can't move past here if you do. It's going to be your fault that you were killed. Paul wants to say, when Christ came, he's not just trying to negotiate with the wall of hostility. He's not trying to request. He's destroying the wall of hostility. And Paul wants to tell the New Testament church in Ephesus, like, hey, if he has come to destroy the dividing wall of hostility, what in the world are you doing? Still acting like it rules the day. And we've seen this play out in our world. Walls of hostility in history when we have operated from a place of bigotry and not from a place of love. And this is just kind of how this works out. So kind of the first thing we can talk about is I have reason to hate you because of your race. I have reason to hate you because of your values, because of your political party, because of your convictions, because of what you believe is true. I have reason to hate you. And then that moves to that I will tolerate you if you stay in your place. Like as long as, long as you stay in your court, you stay on your side of the wall, 
then we'll be all right. But if you move from your place on my side of the wall, it's going to be your fault that I killed you. Or I will accept you if you become like me. So if you will change and you will shift and you'll become like me, then we can be in relationship and I will accept you. And it goes further, I will accept you despite our differences. So I'll just kind of like try to be blind. I'll accept the fact that you and I are different. But it goes further, I will love you because God wants me to help you. I'll love you, not because you are a person of great worth in the sight of God and in my eyes, but because God wants me to help you. Like this is the, the circumcision standpoint. We're going to help you. Because we're chosen and we belong. And we know that because we follow all of the rules. But, it, but the way of Jesus is so wild, you guys, isn't it? I will love you because I need you to help me understand God. There's something that you carry. There's something that you bring. And if you're not here, there's something that I miss about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Have you ever noticed who the heroes are in the stories that Jesus tells? You ever just like stop to think about that? When he's telling a story about a good Samaritan or somebody else, you ever stop to think about who the heroes are? Can you, can you just tell you, like, it's never the Jewish people. It's never the chosen people. Jesus isn't like, hey, listen to, like, what Rabbi so-and-so did. It was awesome. Let me tell you about Rabbi so-and-so. No. Jesus, the heroes in Jesus' stories are always the outsiders. It's always the people on the other side of the wall. It's always the people that we don't expect. Like we don't expect the, what happens in the story of the, the, the Samaritan to like stop and care for someone that there's supposed to be enmity between these two groups of people and hatred between these two groups of people, between the, the circumcision and the uncircumcised. But Jesus is like, hey, like if you really follow me, if you really trust me, really love me, this is your way of life. This is a way that Jesus attacks ethnic superiority. He lifts outsiders and he rattles those in power and in pride. And if you will ask me, and no one's asking me, but I'll tell you anyway, I believe that this is a word in our day against all forms of racism. That we're not better. Not closer to the kingdom. Because who is it that's maybe the closest person to the kingdom in all of the New Testament? I would tell you that in my perspective, it's the thief on the cross. Remember me in your kingdom. Now, here's all the stuff I did. Here's all the stuff that I deserve. But God, would you remember me? And the truth today is that there are treasures of God I will never understand until I am in a relationship with brothers and sisters quite different than me. There are treasures of God I'll never know, I'll never understand, I'll never get my arms around. Verse 15 talks about the purpose of Christ to create one humanity 
in the original language, kainon and thropon. And it, this word kainon comes from this word kainos, which means new. And there's two different words in the New Testament for new. One is like you got a new iPhone, you know. You were tired of the XR and you got the 13 or whatever you got. It's like a new phone. But then there's another word that's used when no one's ever seen a phone before. And you introduce somebody to something that nobody else has ever seen. Paul uses that word here. It's a new, kind, unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of. So it's not just like a new version. It's a new thing altogether. And can I tell you where this, verse, where this word also shows up? It's so amazing. You're going to love it. He uses this word in 2 Corinthians 5.17. When Paul says what? If anybody's in Christ, if anybody, 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 no matter what court you went to church in, no matter what laws you followed, how many commandments you knew and could recite. If anybody's in Christ, he's what? He is a new creation. Kainos. New. Unprecedented. Unheard of. Not experienced before. The old has gone. The new is here. It changes the way that we hear that. And then in verse 19 to 22, we see the outcome is that Gentiles are included. They're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens and members of God's house. Notice how those metaphors grow in intimacy. Like it's one thing to be a foreigner and alien, but then to be a citizen, to be able to belong here, to be able to vote, to be able to participate in the, in the life of the place. But then it's another thing to be members of God's house. Like, it's one thing to live in Sioux Falls, but it's another thing to live in my house. Different kind of intimacy. And I come around and we do bedtime stories and kisses on the forehead. That's a different kind of intimacy than to just, I live here, no, I live in Dave's house. And this is what Jesus has done. No longer foreigners and aliens, but citizens here. And deeper than citizens, you're brought into my house. You sit at my table and you enjoy the food that I prepare. Members of my household. And then in verse 20, Christ is the cornerstone of what is being built. Christ is the stone that, that determines the placement of every other stone. Like it goes at the center and it connects the two walls. So Christ is a stone that determines the placement of every other stone, not the, a political party that sets where every stone goes, not a perspective, not a life experience, but Christ himself is the stone that determines where all the other stones go. Why? So that the building doesn't collapse. So that the building can stand. The building can stand attack from all of the peoples around it, that it will stand firm. Because Christ is at the cornerstone. It's the only thing that doesn't fall, that doesn't fail, and that is not removed ever. The book of Isaiah tells us this. That the word of the Lord remains forever. And who is Jesus but the word of the Lord in human flesh? 
And there's a question at the very end. I'm going to invite the band up today as we close our time. And it's this question, what walls of hostility exist in our world? It's maybe not the law, it's maybe not the temple, but what walls of hostility exist in our world and do those walls bother us? Like, do the walls of hostility in our world anger us? Or are we okay with them? And do they bother us enough to do something about it? Not just to hear about it, not just to consider it, but to do something about it. Because I'll tell you something about Jesus. They bothered him. The walls of hostility bothered him so much that he came and he gave his life. Why? So that he could destroy the dividing wall of hostility. So that he could make the two one. And so how do walls of hostility go up in our world? I think they are constructed through silencing. Like silencing someone's perspective, silencing someone's experience. I think they go up through pretending, pretending it's not real, pretending it doesn't exist, pretending, oh, no, not here, that's somewhere else. Through distancing ourselves from people, through labeling, and through denying. And so what makes this week a little bit different is the environment of our world. And it's easy today to walk away from this conversation and to place a label on me or on my perspective or on other people sitting here. It's easy to do that. But when we do that, we don't join Jesus in destroying walls of hostility. We join the world in building them up. And I just want us to be a people who are willing to bend down with Jesus and just pull the bricks out of the walls that have been created in our world. It should bother us not when we find ourselves in a moment when we've contributed, but it should bother us when someone else is ambassadors of peace to bring destruction to these walls that have gone up in our world. And I just think where we are in history, I just have to tell you, it's a moment for the church of Jesus Christ. I just believe that very much. Because if we're waiting for some political figure to emerge to do that, we're going to be waiting a long time. If we're waiting for a movement to do that for us, long time. We're waiting for a pharmaceutical company to do that for us, we've been waiting a long time. But the one who actually desires to do that here, among us, inviting us to like, hey, come out here and join me. Let's, let's get rid of this thing. Because I've come to bring the two one. So what makes this week just like every week is opening the scriptures and just praying Psalm 139 over it, like, hey, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's anything of me that is not of you and lead me into life everlasting. Like, search me. 
And I would argue, I would tell you that walls start to crumble when we pray that. Search me, O oh God. Walls start to crumble. Because we're open to the fact that there's a way in which we've contributed to the building of walls. There's a prayer that I want to end with. I'm going to read it for us. It's from the Church of Scotland. And no, I'm not doing an accent. Thank you very much. Although Campbell is a Scottish name, I'll tell you that story another day. God and Father of all, in your love, you made all the nations of the world to be a family. And your Son taught us to love one another. Yet our world is riven apart with prejudice, arrogance, and pride. Help the different races to love and understand one another better. Increase among us sympathy, tolerance, and goodwill that we may learn to appreciate the gifts the other races bring to us. And to see in all people our brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. Save us from jealousy, hatred, and fear. And help us to live together as members of one family at home in the world. Sons and daughters of one father who live in the liberty of the children of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one final song? Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.